Thank you, Trey. So beautiful. Am I on? Yeah? No? I don't hear you. Do you guys hear me? No. I don't think I'm on. Well, probably, no? It says I'm on. I'll tell you what. Oh, there I am. Aha! No, I'm on. Good morning, everybody. I love that song that Trey just sang to us, and it really speaks to uh, what we began this fall series with, right? And it was our, our very first week, our very first foundation. It's always our foundation, it seems like. And that is the good news, right? The good news. And that good news is? That didn't sound very good. Like, we are one. The good news is? We are one, right? We are one. This is good news. Let's shout the good news from the mountaintop. We are one. And therein lies both our salvation and our challenge, right? Because to embrace and and, and, um, um, relate to each one from this idea that we are one is not always easy to do. And in part, it becomes really challenging to do because as we've started out this uh, last week and this week, it's about what gets in our way. What gets in our way of living into and shouting out that good news? What gets in our way of having the courage to imagine a world that works for everyone? What gets in our way? And so last week we talked about the ten illusions that we go through in life, right? Neil Donald Walsh shared with us that those ten illusions are actually there to serve us so they can get in our way, but they are there to serve us. They are there to help us to raise above the, the illusion to the place of truth. We are all one, right? And so we have this opportunity within the illusion to bless it, to make it holy, to see the truth within it. That's our, our first obstacle that we need to look at and embrace. And the second one comes this week. This one is, there is no absolute truth. I mean, I can remember when the fall program team was meeting and and we were deciding what chapters were we going to look at and what were going to be the titles. And we came to this chapter and we said, there is no absolute truth. And I went, how will we talk about this one? So Neil Donald Walsh, this is what he has to say on the chapter we are reading. This is our core message, number 17. He does tell us, or God told Neil, there is no such thing as absolute truth. All truth is subjective. Within this framework, there are five levels of truth-telling. Tell the truth to yourself about yourself. Tell tell your truth to yourself about another. Tell your truth about yourself to another. Tell your truth about another to another. And then finally, tell your truth to everyone about everything. And now I'm going, what truth? I mean, there is no absolute truth. So what is it that we're, that we're sharing? What is it that we're telling one another? Neil goes on to give some examples about what he means by this. Because here we are in this human experience. And in this human experience, we have what Neil calls our constants, those truths that we hold as our constants, that we hang on to and say, this is truth, that are a constant until they're not. So 
some examples that he shares about this is, for example, there was a time that the truth of the land was that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun and all of the planets revolved around the earth at the center of the universe. And those that didn't agree with that, that said, no, 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 that's not true, well, what happened to them? They were what? Ridiculed, burned at the stake, right? Heretics. Because we as a society get so caught up in holding on to these constants, it can't be not this. This is what we've placed our faith in. At the same time, there was this truth that was held, this constant that was held, that the earth was flat. Oh my goodness, the one who dared to go against that and say, no, 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 the earth is a sphere? Again, heretic. So oftentimes, when you go against the constants that, that our world says, this is the truth, that's the way you're labeled. I was watching um, last week a movie called Lovings. It was about a, a couple back in the early 60s, the Lovings. They were an interracial couple. They got married up in Washington, D.C., where it was legal for an interracial couple to marry. But in Virginia, where they lived, it was not legal. And so one night, while they were asleep in their bed, the, the local police, they broke in, broke into their bedroom and arrested them, even though the, the wedding, the marriage certificate was hanging there as proof that we're married. didn't matter because the truth, the constant in Virginia was different than the constant in Washington, D.C. They were given a choice in that arrest. They could go to prison for a year or they could leave the state of Virginia for 25 years. Their choice. They chose to leave, but eventually it became too much and they decided to come back and they decided to you know, appeal this decision. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And once it got to the Supreme Court, Loving versus Virginia, 1967, suddenly the constant that had been constant throughout the land was no more. It was now legal for them to be married. A truth while it was, and then not a truth anymore. Thank you, God, right? My, my daughter lives down south, and uh, as we all know, the Bible Belt is down there, and so it's not surprising that, that, you know, she runs into this from time to time in the south where, you know, bless your heart isn't necessarily meant as a good thing, right? <laughs> so she was out yesterday, and uh, they were on their way to a football game, and uh, she came upon in the restroom a tract. The tract was entitled homosexuality and the Bible. Now, there are those that hold this constant to be true. And it says, right in the very beginning of this tract, it says, it is my hope that everyone who reads this tract will understand that it is not written from an attitude of self-righteousness, but of sincere concern for souls. If the saints are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, then we must be plain about such issues as this. It is only to that end that this biblical truth is presented for your consideration. And of course it goes on to share the biblical truth constant that for 
these ones is there and that are wanting to save you from that, from the goodness of their heart, from what they believe, right? Now, just to be fair, I want you to all know what they think about specifically me, so you can all make your decision with knowing all of this, right? Paul condemns in no uncertain terms both homosexuality itself and those who pervert the truth of God in order to excuse or endorse it. His condemnation especially applies to religious leaders who make this abomination appear to be acceptable with God. The Bible is from God, and it is holy because the Bible is so clear on the matter of homosexuality. It is condemned by many modern religious teachers as the product of a past, unsophisticated culture. These leaders have not been sent by God to teach that error. A truth, a concept that is held by people today. Maybe even somebody here, I don't know. But not, not held by me as the truth, as the constant. Not held by unity as the truth, as the constant. And I share these as examples of how our truths and our constants can change over time, right? When we come to a deeper understanding of what is, our truths may change. And the Fillmores knew this. Charles Fillmore said... I reserve the right to change my mind. Myrtle was known to be very eclectic in her teaching. She shared with Charles in a, in a letter. He must have been like questioning her beliefs, her theology. And she goes on to answer him this way. You question my orthodoxy? Well, if I were called upon to write out my creed, it would be a rather strange mixture. I am decidedly eclectic in my theology. Is it not my right to be? Overall is a grand ideal, God but full of love and mercy. And dear to my heart is Christ, the perfect man, who shared our earthly sorrows, yet lived ever blameless, and taught such sweet lessons of patience, forgiveness, and tolerance. Outside of ourselves must we go for a strength to trust and rely on, Trusted that strength proves a help. Call it by what name you choose. The soul understands it. What is the truth, the constant that you hold in your life? And does unity truly have no absolute truth? What do you think? Does unity have an absolute truth? Yes, maybe. Yes. I want you to hear that as well. So unity is absolute truth is God is the only power, the only presence in my life and in the universe. And God is good, omnipotent, absolute truth. It's absolute truth in unity that we each have a spark of that divine presence within us and that that divine presence is called the Christ. Although you can call it whatever you'd like because the name doesn't matter as Myrtle so wonderfully taught us there. Absolute truth absolute truth that we are creating our world through the activity of our thoughts that we hold in mind. We are creating the existence that we are living in. Absolute truth in unity. Absolute truth in unity is that you do not need an intermediary to go to God. You have the power to go to God yourself through prayer and through meditation and always, always you can hear that voice of God as you get still and listen. 
absolute truth and unity is that it's not enough to know these things intellectually, right? We have to actually live these things. We have to practice these things in our way of being. And this is what I know to be absolutely true. I also know that in unity, how we describe God is absolute truth. Anybody ever have one of my classes in which I shared the realm model? I see a few hands go up, so you'll know what I'm talking about here. In the realm model from unity, there's this big circle. A circle with no beginning and no end. The alpha and the omega. That's God consciousness. That, in unity, is the absolute unchanging. It is where we find that divine idea, where we find divine mind, where we know God is source, where we know God is substance, where we know God is always ever-changing, there and available to us. The absolute. We know this and teach this in unity. And we also know that we are living within the relative realm, the temporal realm. The realm where change always occurs. You know, where it was 80 on Wednesday and 40 today. (laughs) Where nothing stays the same. Where interracial marriage is wrong one day, but hallelujah, it's okay today. This place where we are seeing always, constantly, the change that is occurring. And it is here that we get to experience life. And all of it truly occurs within our mind, if you will. So our mind individually is one with divine mind. Our mind here in the temporal realm is one with divine mind in the absolute realm. And divine ideas come to us all the time. However, what happens is it has to first go through our filters. And the first filter it's going to run into, that beautiful divine idea, is the filter of collective consciousness or what. Charles Fillmore, co-founder, called race consciousness. And in that filter of race consciousness, there is separation. There is fear. There is scarcity. There is not enoughness. There is unworthiness. There is doubt. There is lack. There is limitation. You know, all of the things that we've agreed upon coming into this world as humanity that we keep going through the activity of our thinking. First, That divine idea has to go through that filter. And as it goes through that filter, it begins to pervert a bit from that perfect divine idea. And then, once it goes through that filter in our mind, it has to go through the filter of our subconscious mind. Our subconscious mind that is filled with all of the beliefs and ideas that we have been taught from the moment we were born, right? All of that thinking it now goes through. And as it it does so, it no longer necessarily looks like that perfect divine idea of absolute truth. And then we who are experiencing life through the ideas that we hold in mind, and maybe you believe that and maybe you don't, but I want you to pause and think for a minute something that's happening in your life, in your world. And what do you do with it? You know, most of us, As something is happening, we go into a story. We tell ourselves what it means. We make up the meaning of what these events are in our lives and what they mean. And we become willing to hold on to an idea so tightly that we have created in our mind that we are willing to separate out from our lives those people who don't agree with us. That we are willing to go to war with one another. 
to fight with one another, to kill one another, to die for one another because of ideas that we are holding in our mind, those constants that we are so sure are the absolute truth that we don't even make room for that very first guy who died. Our one. You and I are one with one another. So this idea that Neil has is that there is no absolute truth that we can know. And why is that? It is because here in this realm, in this body, I can never know fully and completely the absolute that is God. Anybody here believe that you know 100% of infinity? I mean, even saying that, it sounds ridiculous, right? And this is not a, a new idea. The spiritual teachers have been teaching this for forever. That God is that unknown, that, that mystery that we have to recognize and realize that we can't know it all. So we have from Hinduism. If you think that you know well the truth of Brahman, know that you know little. What you think to be Brahman in yourself or what you think to be Brahman in the gods That's not Brahman. What is indeed the truth of Brahman, you must therefore learn. I cannot say that I know Brahman fully, nor can I say that I know him not. He among us knows him best, who understands the spirit of the word, nor do I know that I know him not. He truly knows Brahman, who knows him as beyond knowledge. He who thinks that he knows, knows not. The ignorant think that Brahman is known, but the wise know him to be beyond knowledge. The mystery of that absolute divine power and presence that we call God. From Islam, all praise and glory is due the Lord whose worth cannot be described even by the greatest rhetoricians of time. None can fully understand or explain his being, however hard he may try. Reason and sagacity cannot visualize him. Intelligence, understanding, and attainment cannot attain the depths of knowledge to study and scrutinize this Godhead. Human faculties of conception, perception, and learning, and attributes of volition, intuition, and apprehension cannot catch sight of his person or fathom the extent of his might and of his glory. His attributes cannot be fixed, limited, Defined. There do not exist words in any language or define his qual- that define his qualities, peculiarities, characteristics, or singularities. We cannot know fully and completely divine mind consciousness. And finally, from uh, Hinduism again, the eye cannot see it, the mind cannot grasp it, the deathless self has neither caste nor race, neither eyes nor ears nor hands nor feet. Sages say this self is infinite in the great and in the small, everlasting and changeless, the source of life. This is the truth that all of our spiritual teachers have been telling us through the ages. We cannot know fully and completely that divine power and presence that is God. And yet here in this human experience, we want to say, I know what God said. And Neil is inviting us to question that, to recognize that in this human experience, we cannot know absolute truth. Now, 
before you think what some people might tell you, which is, you know, if you stand for nothing, or if you stand for everything, you'll stand for nothing, right? It's like we can pick and choose, right? What do we think God is? That's not what unity is about either. Because we have our way setter. We have our teacher. We have the example that Jesus left. And the example that Jesus left is one of compassion. It's one of understanding. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of kindness. It's one of love. It's one of extending to one another the truth of who you are. It's, it's about meeting one another from that place of, of pure love and acceptance. This is what we stand for. This is the truth that we will live and experience. And what I love about unity is you do not have to accept my word for any of it. Would I stand up here and tell you every week, please do not go out there and go, well, Joanne said, so I guess it must be. Because I'm just like all of you. I just have a little vision of that divine power and presence. Not the entire thing either. But what I do have is the living of these teachings in my life. The practice of these very principles that we hold as absolute truth, I live them every day in my life, and then sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. And thank you, God, for those who are in my life that when I get it wrong can tell me the truth about me again. And when you live in this experience of it, when you Feel that power and presence rising up within you so that you become more loving than you could ever imagine being. More kind than you ever thought was possible. More compassionate. More understanding. More forgiving than you ever imagined you could be. You are living in that experience. And in that truth, you know that there's no need to argue with anybody else's absolute truth. Just show up and be the light that you are and shine that light in that moment. We have opportunity after opportunity to be kind and compassionate and loving and kind. Anybody not have opportunities in your daily life to be that? I guess not. I want to share with you one opportunity that we have here in community to be that, and that is um, our own member, Peggy O'Brien. How many of you know Peggy O'Brien? She usually comes to 11 o'clock service. She is affectionately called the cat lady because she loves her cats, right? And about a year ago, Peggy had to move from her apartment into an assisted living and give up many of her cats. She was able to keep two. Well, Peggy is currently going with, uh, has a health challenge. She was in the hospital for a few days, and she's being transferred, I think, today to a rehab center. But there are her cats. And we want to make sure that Peggy doesn't lose these beloved animals that are so much a part of her life while, while she's recovering and recuperating. So her sister, Betty, reached out to say, hey, anybody at Unity that can help us out feeding Peggy's cats for a day or so while she's in recovering? And, and Peggy's um, place is in Rocky River. So if you feel that you would like to shine your light of compassion and caring and kindness for, Be- for Betty and for Peggy, stop by the concierge desk where there's some contact information so that you can get a hold of Betty and let her know, yes, I'm willing to come and help. 
Because this is what we do with one another. If we would just stop all the judging, all the condemnation, all the blaming, and stand up in the truth, tell the truth about ourselves to ourselves, hey, I'm the light of God expressing. Anybody else out there that? Telling the truth to one another about that. Those of you who didn't say yes, you are the light of God expressing. And then go out and live that. You know, then there becomes no need. No need to cling to our conscience to the point of separation, warring, death. So if you are willing to join me in this this week, we're going to practice it. In the back of your bulletin cover, there is a practice, a spiritual practice for the week. These, by the way, these spiritual practices that we're bringing you during the fall program are all coming out of the book, What God Said. So this one also comes out of there. Remember, Neil told us we needed five levels of truth-telling. Tell the truth about yourself to yourself. Tell the truth about another to yourself. Tell the truth about yourself to another. Tell the truth about another to another. And tell your truth about everything, right? So this involves telling the truth to another. And this is what he says. Write a list of at least three people who are important to you right now. Leave a large space under each name. In that space, complete the following sentence. What I'm afraid to tell you is, what I'm afraid to tell you is, sometimes we're afraid to speak out our truth. I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I'm afraid to speak out my truth. I hear the reverberation through history of heretics. And so we're invited to speak our truth boldly, confidently. What I'm afraid to tell you is, I see who you really are. I forgive you. I love you. I have compassion for you. What I'm afraid to tell you is, fill in the blank. Anybody, anybody got something you could fill in the blank with? I hear a little laughter. But if you don't, think about it. See what, if anything, comes up for you and find a way to communicate that to them as soon as you can. And you can even start the conversation with, what I'm afraid to tell you is, and that opens the way for understanding, for the conversation to occur. Simple. Tell the truth. Are you willing to tell the truth this week? By, by the end of this series, I have this vision that you will all go, yes! <laughs> Listen, I share this with you not because I like making up things for you to do week after week. I share this with you because I have experienced the transformation in my life from practicing these principles. And if you want to experience transformation in your life, you've got to practice these principles. Are you willing to tell your truth this week? Together, as we find a way to share our truth with love, with kindness, with compassion, with understanding, we will create a world that works for all beings. It is possible. Let us do so together. Thank you, and God bless.